Well, welcome to Rise Church. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm the executive pastor, and uh, we are in the middle of a series, a third week of a series called Soil. So if you're a guest with us, one of the things our pastor always says is to try us out three times. Uh, you never know if you get the best experience on the first time, and y'all are not going to get the best experience today. Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I actually, uh, this is a, a fun message for me to teach, but it feels a little bit, I'm just going to warn you, like I'm going to step on every single person's toes today, uh, including my own. Uh, so I'm just going to warn you uh, ahead of time, and my email is jason at risechurchtx.com. <laughs> Uh, but we're so glad you're here for, if you're a guest with us for the first time. Those joining us online, uh, we're, we are, as I said, in the, the third part of the series, and Pastor Aaron has been unpacking in this series called Soil, the parable uh, of the four soils, or the parable of the sower, depending on uh, what version of the scripture we might, may call it a different thing. But he, he explained why, uh, and so I encourage you to go back and listen to the first two messages. He explained why Jesus taught in parables. And a little bit about the, the meaning of this parable. And so we're on four types of soil here, and next week he's actually going to be back uh, ending out the series on good soil. And our prayer for each one of you is to be good soil. But he, God, Jesus, gives us an example of three types of soil that are not so good. In the first week, Pastor Aaron talked about hardened soil, soil that has been trampled upon, and trampled upon soil uh, doesn't allow the seed to take uh, to take root or to take growth. It has no growth, it, growth at all. It withers, it dies, it uh, is stolen away by the birds. And so he talked about the, the dangers of a hardened heart. And in week two, he talked about the, the, the seed that fell on rocky soil. And the problem with the rocky soil is, is it started to grow, but it could never get deep roots because the soil was too rocky. So it would dry up and die. And he talked about what do we do when we go through life's dips? We all go through life's dips, but what do you do? So this week, uh, as I share the third part of this message with you, I'll put that down there for now, I want to uh, pick up where we left off. And we are in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8. And uh, this telling of this parable is in all three uh, synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means same. They're kind of, they all use the same source material. They're, 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 those three gospels are very similar, and they all have this parable in there. And so uh, it, it, Pastor Aaron shared a little bit about this, but like Jesus used these parables, these stories, and to, 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 for, for, to kind of like hide truth in plain sight for people. In other words, you had to do a little work to get to it. And this parable really talks about uh, that and really is the parable to understand all parables. And uh, I, I like what I heard one pastor say. He said, it's almost like Jesus came to comfort those who were afflicted. In other words, the down and out of life, he comforted those, but he afflicted the comforted. In other words, the people who thought they had it all together, the people who thought they knew everything, the people who had everything, Jesus, he, he kind of messed with them a little bit. And then we're going to see on this part, especially, Jesus is messing with us a little bit. So we pick up in verse 7. He's talking about the seed. We know the seed is the word of God. He said, this other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. The title of today's message is Choked Out. It's not a UFC message. It's a message about what are the things that choke us 
out in life. What are those things? What I love about this parable is Jesus didn't do this in all the parables, but he explains it. So we go to verse 14 to get the explanation. He said, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. So they never grow into maturity. Other translation says they never bear fruit. They grow, but they don't bear fruit. They grow, there's some growth, but there's no fruit coming from that. It sounds a little bit like my yard. My yard isn't so much thorns, but it has some weeds in it right now. Um, I, I would like to have like some excuses like, hey, the person who owned the house before me didn't really take care of the yard, but the person who owns the house right now with me doesn't take care of the yard either. That's me. I don't really, that's not, you know, it's like, I, I'm not like the, the yard guy and it got all these trees in, in the yard and it's hard, you know, here with the heat to water it. And I don't like how expensive my water bill is already. Uh, with all these girls in my house. It's already expensive enough, yet along with trying to water uh, that grass uh, right now. And it's just all weeds. And it gets those like little things in the yard, like those little burrs, you know, those sticky burr things. Y'all know what I'm talking about here. Like I've never lived anywhere that had that. You know, I'll be out in the yard and I'll come inside and one will get on your shoelace. And then it gets off your shoelace. And then you take off your shoes and your sock, and you're just like walking around like normal, and you find it with your feet. And it's more painful than stepping on a Lego. Legos at least let go. Those things never let go. And they just get in there, and you can't get it off, and you're trying to shake it off. That's a little bit like what he's saying here, is that these things choke out our productivity. They choke out our fruitfulness for God. They choke out our purpose. The first type, it never grew. The hardened soil. The second type, it grew a little bit, and then it withered up. But this third type, it actually grows. The problem isn't the soil. The problem is all the other things we've put into the soil. And remember, the soil is our heart. The seed is the word. The soil is our heart. The first person has a hardened heart. The second one has a shallow heart, rocky heart. The third has a good heart, but they put other things in their heart. He says it's choked out by cares, the worries, the focuses of life. He says it's choked out by the riches, the material things. He says it's choked out by the pleasures, the experiences of our life that aren't necessarily bad, but we allow them to grow to the place where they choke out the fruitfulness, the thing that God wants to plant, the purpose of our life. He says there's some growth, but there's no fruit. There's some growth, but there's no fruit. And so I want to talk to you today about four thorny attitudes that choke out God's purpose, fruitfulness, and plan for our life, that choke out our spiritual growth. And I've come up with a statement that I hear people say, mostly me, those people, say these things, and these are the things that choke out in my life what God has for me. The first one is this, I want what they have. I want what they have. The Bible calls this coveting. Coveting. 
The word covet means to want what someone else has. And it used to be like you had to work to figure out what someone else had. I mean, you at least had to put your head over the fence <laughs> to look, to peek in their garage. It's like, what kind of cars they got in there? What kind, oh, they got a boat out. Now, you don't have to do any work at all because they'll put everything on Instagram. Facebook, Snapchat, whatever, TikTok it. Everything is out there. And I don't know if y'all know this or not, but there, everything on the internet is not what it seems. And I know everyone's like, of course I know that that's not really a Nigerian prince. <laughs> but at the same time, we look at social media and we're like, yeah, that, that, that's real. But the Nigerian prince isn't real. Neither are real. I love what I heard someone say. Don't compare your backstage to someone else's highlight reel. You see people take a picture, and it's like, I got my Bible just right. I got my coffee with the right brand there. I got my like little healthy thing there. And I got to get the right lighting. Got to put it, oh, I got to put a good filter on that. And I got to post it just right. But what do you not see outside of the picture? That's all staged. And of course we know the internet is not real. It's fake. It's fake. And I remember, man, we had this lady at my last church. Bless her heart. Y'all know what that means. <laughs> Bless her heart. You know, she had gone through a lot of pain in life, and she just had a rough life. And her husband had passed away years ago, and so what she does what any lonely person does, go on the internet. And she starts talking in chat rooms to, to people, and then she meets this guy. Notice what I'm doing. If you can't, if you're just listening, I'm doing air quotes, guy. And he's like 40 years younger than her, handsome, veteran, business owner, Stud, good-looking, rich. Did I say that already? And we're like, I don't, I don't, I don't. And we try to talk to her like, hey, hey, Miss Tina, like, I don't, I don't think that's real. Why can't you be happy for me? And then all of a sudden, this rich business owner, he has business in like Central Africa, so he needs her to go buy iPhones. Y'all see where this is going? He needs her to go buy iPhones and send them to her. And I'm like, no, this is not. No one does that. They have Best Buy. Like, you know, you don't. Don't. They could, you could order it from Apple, like, directly. You don't need to do that. Stop. And then she's, like, selling her trailer, her truck. And finally, I had to convince her. I was like, I don't know what I can do. I'm trying to help this lady. I got on a, a, a website that does reverse image searches. And I took all the images of like this studly young man and reverse searched him. And I said, that's not his name. Look, is his name. Here's, he's an author. He's a, this is the real guy. And that's, but no, that's Frank. That's the guy I'm dating. No, it's not. It's not Frank. It's somebody else. But yet at the same time, what we need to realize is what we're seeing, what we covet after, what we want, what someone else has, it's not real. 
It's a scam. It's fake. It's staged. It wants something from you. It's not real. So in order for us to treat the weed of coveting in our life, we need to round up. Yeah, coveting in our lives. We need to round up. Now, again, I know what some of y'all are like, that's not healthy for the environment and for you. I get it, but it's just not as catchy as like vinegar and just soap, the things in our life. I like the roundup. Okay, that works for me. And how do we do that? We need to round up those things in our life. We have to combat coveting with contentment. The Bible uses this word contentment, and, and, and it's defined here in 1 Timothy. He says this, you must be happy with what you have. That is what contentment is. Not wanting what someone else has, but being happy with what you have. That's the first thorny attitude we have to defeat. We have to round up in our lives. The second one could be summed up with this statement right here. This is terrible. Whatever this is. And it, this could be everything. That's what I feel like it is today. Everything is terrible. Terrible, terrible. If coveting is wanting what someone else has, this thing is complaining about what you have. Not being happy with what you do have. Coveting is wanting what someone else has. Complaining is not being happy with what you have. And it doesn't even have to be bad for us to complain about it. We can go to the Bible for this. And it's a great example of us. We like to make fun of these people in the Bible, like the, the children of Israel who were brought out of Egypt and they complained about everything. It's like, this is, is this about now? Like God has miracles to set us free from all these things in our lives and then we just going to complain. God literally made like a miracle substance called manna come on the ground every day. They would go outside. It would just be there. They would eat it. The manna literally means, what is it? It's like an exclamation. Like You have to say it like that. What is it? They didn't even know. And they're like, they start complaining about the miracle. You say, oh, I would never do that. These kids, I can't take them. I remember I was talking to a leader, and they said, Pastor, I could be such a great leader if it weren't for these kids. <laughs> I talk to pastors. I coach pastors, and they'll say, I could be such a great pastor if it weren't for these people. And I was like, they're mir yeah, I know y'all are saying, wow, but have y'all met any of each other? <laughs> I'm just, I mean, like, y'all are so amazed. Like, <laughs> I love you all. Jason at risechurchtx.com. Don't send it to Pastor Aaron. He'll just forward it to me. And we're complaining about the miracle that God put in our lives. We're tired of it. We're complaining about it. We have to treat that with thankfulness. We have to round it up the complaining in our life with thankfulness. And thankfulness is so powerful that even therapists, psychologists that have nothing to do with Christianity, that are totally secular, outside, they, they, they talk about the benefits of increased health if a person practices gratefulness, of, of, of better sleep for a person, of less general anxiety in their life for a person who's more grateful. People who are complaining have no energy. 
But people who are thankful have plenty of energy. And it's amazing to me, even, even the, the social connectedness of people to practice gratitude towards one another. It connects you with people. That's why we love our small groups here. And obviously, we're launching groups over the next couple of weeks. And we have some more groups coming. And you'll see the balloons out there. Get signed up for a small group. We'll give you a donut today. Because God intended for us to live that way, connected and thankful for the relationships that we have, not complaining about the miracle of relationships and saying, oh, I just can't take it. Wow, I'm going to be thankful for the miracles that God has put in my life. And Paul wrote this. He said, give thanks in 1 Thessalonians, no matter what happens. It's right there for us. It's the antidote to feeling we're not happy with what we have. Coveting is wanting what someone else has. Complaining is not being happy with what you do have. The third thorny attitude could be summed up with this phrase right here. I need more stuff. I need more stuff. You have one that wants what someone else has. You have another times in our life where we are complaining about what we have. We're not happy with what we have. This one could be summed up with the word materialism. We love what we have too much. We love the things. Jesus said they choke us out. And Paul wrote these great verses to this pastor named Timothy. It's found in 1 Timothy Six, and I want to read this to you. What his instruction was for those of us who love what we have too much. He says, command those who are rich in this present age. Now, what most of us just did right there is like, oh, not talking to me. Stay with me. He says, not to be arrogant. That's great advice. Or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, man, that's oh, so far I'm hearing great advice, right? Who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment. Oh, man, this sounds really good. This is so far so good. We continue on. What else does he say here? He says, command them to do good. Man, we're all called to do good, right? To be rich in good deeds. Still great advice. And to be generous. One of our values as a church is to live open-handed, to be generous. It's not just about money. It's about the condition of our heart and be willing to share. This sounds great so far. Great advice for all of us. We continue on as he closes this little passage here. He says, in this way, the reason you want to do this is they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. As we're reading that, again, we can shut off our mind and say like, I'm checked out because he's not talking to me. He's talking to greedy Wall Street, 1% people, the rich of this world, the haves. I remember about 10 years ago, we were watching a documentary. I think it was on Netflix. But my little girls were there. They were all little at that time. We're watching this documentary about kids going to school around the world, especially in third world countries. And, and, and one was like a brother and sister, and they're trying to get to school, and they're in Africa, and they're trying to, to get away from like a stampede of elephants. I mean, like, well, that doesn't happen here in San Antonio, usually. 
And then another was like a Peruvian brother and sister, and they had to ride a donkey over a mountain because the school was on the other side of the mountain. And then there was these little boys in, in India, dirt, dirt poor. I mean, they were, they, you just, this, the, and the one was in a wheelchair. And this wheelchair was just like, it breaks down on their journey to get to school. They have to go get a bicycle wheel to put on there. It gets stuck in the mud, and they have to find a stranger to help lift them out of the mud to get to school. And then what really got my girls was the last story. It was in an Arab world. It didn't even tell us where it was, an Arab country, where they don't educate girls as a rule. But these girls found a school hours and hours away that their parents were send them to for weeks at a time to go learn how to read. And like I'm trying to make my kids read. We're trying to give them like Pizza Hut to read. And they're watching this, and they have to like, they can't just get there. It's not like they just take the bus or like their parents drive them there. Their parents give them a chicken and say, go to school. The chicken was to sell once they got there so they could buy food. And my girls are watching this, and they're mad. They're like, Dad, this ain't right. They got to let them girls go to school. I'm like, y'all don't even want to go to school. <laughs> and they're like, Dad, we are so rich. And I'm like, no, I work at a church, sweetie. <laughs> you know, the, the, our church's motto is, God, you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. Like, we're not rich, but they were right. We are the rich of this world in comparison to what they saw. We are the rich of this world. We are the blessed. And I think it's interesting that what they said was not, what this Paul wrote to Timothy wasn't, tell them they're evil, tell them they're no good, tell them they better sell everything they have, tell them they're wicked, tell them they're, they're, they're you know, they're going to hell. What does he tell them? He says, don't be haughty. And before, let me just say something like, you know, you don't have to have a lot of stuff to love the stuff you got. I was working with a lady when I was in Bible college. I was working at a factory to try to make my way through. And I was always trying to be a pastor before I was a pastor. I didn't need a title to, to, to reach people. And I was talking to this lady, and she was telling me about her family and how messed up her family was. And she's like, I hate my sister. And I'm like, well, why do you hate your sister? You know, I'm trying to, like, walk her through it. Well, let me tell you what she did. And this, these people were poor. They lived in the same neighborhood I did. They were poor. And she said, I hate my sister because when my grandma died, my sister got to grandma's house before I did, and she took my favorite pan of grandma's. And I, I know some people that y'all might want to laugh about that, like, oh, that stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, it does. I'm like, you're not going to talk to your sister over a pan. Was it platinum? Was it gold? Was it like the infinity skillet? Like, what was it? Like, did, was it valuable in some way? Was it jewel-encrusted? No. It didn't even have a handle. You don't have to have a lot of stuff to love the stuff more than people. So Paul says, don't trust in riches. He says they're uncertain riches. And, you know, you don't even have to have a lot of 
money to be wanting to trust in money. We have a big billboard. I saw it. Took my wife on a date. I saw a big billboard. It's got some big numbers up there with million after it. One said Powerball. One said Mega Millions. He said, don't put your hope in uncertain wealth. I hope I win. I hope I win. What's the next number? I know I'm making some people mad. That's okay. Jason at RogeChurchTX.com. <laughs> That's hope in uncertain riches. And do you know this is going to be, you know what they call the lottery? The tax on the poor. Because so many people are trying to have hope that that's one way they're going to find hope and uncertain riches. Like, I hope I win. And, and it would be one thing if people were going and buying like one every so often when it gets big. But like there's people going in buying $50, $100. I'll go into the gas station and people are buying like $100 worth of Powerballs. I'm like, that's hope and uncertain riches. Paul's talking to you right here, the rich of this world. Because the truth of the matter is, is here in America, we are the 1% of the world even the lowest of the low. He says, we've got to trust in God, not in riches. We've got to do good. One of the ways we encourage that, we're always talking about that. You know, we have a school supply drive that we have coming up the, the next two weeks where we are partnering with the school to try to be a blessing to them, to get some paper and some glue and some things that just headphones, different things that we could just give them to be a blessing to them. We're going to be rich in good works. We're going to be ready to give. We're going to be generous we're going to be willing to share what are we doing with what we have now. And Matthew talks about this. He says, when you do this, you're storing up treasure in heaven. When you give and you, and, and you steward what God has given you, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where the stock market crashes, where the housing market goes down. Thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and thieves do not break in and steal. We're storing up treasure in heaven. So the treatment for materialism in our life is generosity. To round up materialism in our life, we have to be generous. We have to give back. We're doing what we're commanded to do. If coveting is wanting what someone else has, if complaining is not being happy with what you have, if materialism is loving what you have, and if I haven't made you angry yet, let's go with our fourth thorny attitude, and that's this one right here. That's not fair. I told Pastor Aaron, he watched the first message, I said, it feels a little bit like I'm stepping on everyone's toes, and then when I'm like, people are like, oh, you missed me, I come by and get them really good. <laughs> this is jealousy. Wanting truly for everyone to have the same outcome. For everything to be equal. My kids do this. You know, you bless one kid, you take them, like, where'd they go? Where'd they go? What'd you do? <laughs> That's not fair. Someone in the church has a get together. Oh. Oh. There it is. <laughs> and you didn't get invited. That's not fair. 
Someone at the office gets the boss's attention or maybe gets the raise or the office or the promotion. <laughs> me as a kid, I'm just going to tell on me. Like, I was an ornery little kid. And I have a, just a deep sense of justice. So if you're like, who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm talking to me. I'm stepping on my toes first. Like, I love for everything to be equal, just, fair. And before, when I was a kid, we didn't have the internet. I know, that's how old I am. And my dad was stationed in Germany for many years, and so we couldn't just Amazon the gifts and they came. We had to get them and look at them in a JCPenney catalog. Some of y'all are like, what? Is he speaking in tongues? It's like this paper thing, and it had the pictures in it, and the prices, and the number. You had to call and say, I want one of those, and they would send it to you, and you had to pay them, and you had to, or send a check, or, you know. And so what I would do is, after Christmas is over, I'd go back to the catalog and say, $42.99 plus $10.47 equals, that's not fair, you got more than I got, except for I was the good kid, so I always got the most. That's ornery. That sense of fairness. And, 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 I, and I know the objection right now, but doesn't the Bible say that everything should be fair? As best as I can tell, fairness died the moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And since then, nothing been fair. Fairness died in the garden. It died in the garden. Yes, we should try to treat people justly. Yes, we should try to do the right thing. But being concerned about everything being fair is really the spirit of jealousy in our lives. You know, one of the examples from the scripture is as Jesus was about to be taken back up into heaven, he's talking to his disciples and he, and he says to Peter, you know, who kind of was like the macho, you know, mouth guy of the whole group. He's like, hey, when you're old, people, you're not going to be able to decide what you want to do. So he's really saying that you're going to be arrested. He was telling him of what his future was, of how he was going to die. And so Peter, he's like, but what about John? And, John, and, and Jesus says, what do you care? It ain't none of your business. That's the Jason paraphrase. He says, what does it matter to you what I want to do for him? Jesus tells another parable in Matthew 20 about the same thing. He, he, he sets up. And the truth of the matter is, is we often want, we think we want fair until we go to the scripture and say, oh, of all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Whoa, 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 I don't want fair now. No thanks. I'll take some grace. Grace is the treatment to round up jealousy in our life. But it's not just the grace to be saved. It's the grace to live life for other people gracefully. I remember as I was moving here to San Antonio, 
we were trying to sell our house in Missouri, and we're trying to, you know, upgrade, and you got to paint everything drab colors and neutrals to get the most money out of it, and we changed out the carpet and flooring, all this stuff, and, and I had a brother, he was kind of down on his luck, and he was going through rehab a second time, and I'm trying to help him out, and he did flooring, and I said, hey, do you know how to do baseboard? I'm trying to upgrade the baseboard in my house to get bigger, twice as big, and he's like, I, I think I can do that. He couldn't. Like he had never done it before. So he struggled through the first floor and he kind of got it done. And I had agreed to pay him a certain amount of money if he finished it. So I called my friend Steve and I'm like, Steve, like I got to finish this. I got to sell my house. What am I going to do? I was like, I'm going to take the half of the money I was going to pay him and I'm going to pay you to finish it. And he's like, no, 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 no. I got you. Just buy me this saw that we need to do it, and we'll, we'll knock it out. And we literally knocked it out in like two hours. So it was like the last day I'm there, and before I'm going to come here to San Antonio to be and plant this, help Pastor Aaron. It's like, I got to go see my brother, and I got to give him the money. And I'm like, hey, Steve, are you sure you don't want your money? Like, I, he, didn't, he didn't do the whole job. I'm not, I'm not going to, he's like, no, I know your brother's story. You've told me his story. Give him the whole thing. Give him the grace. So I meet my brother in like a Walmart parking lot. And I give him the whole wad of, like the whole thing of cash. And he counts it. He's like, but I only earned half. And I said, this is grace. Not because I wanted to, because Steve told me to. <laughs> I'm not the hero. But I want you to remember this is the, what God's grace is like. You can never do enough to earn it. You don't deserve it. And it turns out that five weeks later, my brother passed away. And we were trying to figure out who in the family last talked to Tyler. And it turns out the last interaction that he had for, from our family was grace. And we weren't always grace-filled. He did a lot of things wrong. But the last interaction he had was grace. And so my encouragement to you is, where can you live better than jealousy? Where can you live better than fair? That's grace. That's grace. That's grace. Who can you give grace to that you don't know this might be their last opportunity for grace? How can you live your life every day not being choked out by jealousy, materialism, complaining, coveting, but be filled with grace, be filled with generosity, be filled with thankfulness, be filled with contentment. That is my encouragement to you today.